Loving and gracious God, having come and sung praises to you, giving thanks for all the reasons that you have blessed us, and singing with all of creation, alleluia, alleluia. We now come to continue to hear a word from you, and having heard your scriptures read, we pray that you might speak to us, and that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. So have you ever found yourself uh, living out something in life, um, doing one thing, only to later on figure out that that thing that you had worked on for quite some time or kind of put energy towards just didn't fit with who you were? And then later on, when you transition, you find yourself more free and more able to live into all the gifts that God has made you to be. Um, well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about that story for myself, and I'm going to connect it to why that's relevant to the scripture this morning. But So I uh, graduated from undergrad at Azusa Pacific University, which is a small Christian school in Southern California. And one of the things there that I had thought I was going to go into youth ministry, and I still have a value for youth and continuing to uh, help form them in the Christian faith, but I had decided when I was at Azusa Pacific that I really, really, really loved theology. I know, super weird thing to really like. And on top of that, the Bible. And I liked doing biblical history and exegesis. You don't know what that word is. It's just a fancy word for biblical research. And I liked reading Hebrew and the original text. And I just was like where my like vantage point was. And so I transitioned all of my energy from undergrad on to pursuing what I thought was going to be my PhD in uh, theology. I'd done all my research about, you know, who I wanted to study under, and even while I was teaching English in Japan, I loaded myself up on theology book after theology book. All my Japanese teachers that were there, they were, like, looking at the books I was reading. They were so confused as to what they were, because there's, like, you know, uh, Hauerwas and Bart and all these theologians and their, like, names for their titles. They had no idea what was going on, and it was really hard to translate what I was talking, what I was reading. But I put my energy and my life's passion into my PhD program. And I ended up going, getting into, by the grace of God, uh, Duke Divinity School, which is one of the top schools throughout the world if you want to study theology for your PhD. And I went there because I was going to study under this man, Stanley Hauerwas, and a number of the other academics that had coalesced within that kind of vantage point. And I went there, and it was a lot of work. And there's a lot of work for me for two reasons. One, naturally, I was always better at, like, science and math as a kid. Like, I would just ace it. No problem, no questions, never study. In fact, my math teacher in high school would go to my parents and be like, so we're not sure Brian was supposed to be in this class. He really should have been like the higher level one. He just went for like that middle one and he doesn't have, he gets getting A's. But then English was always the class that was the hardest for me. I just didn't read, but I played too many video games or something. I just didn't read. In fact, my ACT scores to get into Azusa Pacific were too low, too low even to get in. So I had to retake the ACTs just to get in. And then there I was, right, wanting to pursue a PhD in theology. And if you didn't know what that entails, it entails a lot of reading, a lot of reading and a lot of writing. I remember my preceptor, which is a fancy word for TA, for church history, um, after my first paper that I had turned in, literally handed me the like MLA style book. And she goes, I think you need to read this, right? And like take into consideration some of the 
comma usage and other things. Now I just get Grammarly, which is amazing. But um, the idea is that it was not my kind of like strength. And but I loved theology and I put my energy into it and I studied hard and it took me a long time to like read the 300 pages a day that was being required for divinity school at Duke. And, you know, I was just going through and I was putting in and I was getting all the A's. And then all of a sudden, uh, it was during the Christmas break, um, I came back from Christmas break and I was talking to, and I've shared this with you, I was talking to some of the other PhD bound students. Because at Duke, you know, you had some of the students that were like, I'm just going to be a pastor. Other students that were going to be, I'm going to be a chaplain. Others were like, I don't know what I'm going to do and I'm here. And then others were like, I'm going to do my PhD. So I was with all the ones that I'm going to do my PhD. And, you know, what we did for fun on Friday nights was go listen to like a philosopher named Zizek come and speak to the humanities department and all these other things, right? Um, but ultimately, I came back from this Christmas break and I said, what, what did you guys do over Christmas break? And they told me about the books that they read. They were like, I read a book a day and I wrote a paper for the, what's called the AARP, like the Academy of American Religious like, Practice or something. It's like the big conference for theologians. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Um, I played hockey with my friends in Minnesota on the pond and, you know, like, took a break from all of that. And that's when I started to realize that perhaps I was working really, really hard towards something that maybe wasn't my, you know, spiritual gift center. I still think that like teaching and theology. And in fact, as I was discerning that, I was working at a Methodist church and they kept telling me, Brian, Brian, you need to be a pastor. I was like, no, I don't need to be a pastor. I want to be a theologian. That's what I'm here for. Like, I'm studying this. This is what I want to do. And then all of a sudden, like, I started to, like, my mentor, Donna Banks, she started to share with me, like, why she thought it was important for me to consider being a pastor. She's like, Brian, you are good in academics. But she's like, but you can also, you know, speak and you can also, you know, relate to the normal people, not just like academic people, right? And you're also good at graphic design and, you know, marketing and, you know, you know all these skill sets that for a pastor is like, get like a strength because one of the things they don't teach you in divinity school is how to do things like graphic design and communications and all of these other things that you actually, if you don't know what I do from, you know, Monday to today, it's not just sit in a room and read theology books and prepare for this, right? I wish some weeks it were that, but it's just not. And as I stepped more into this new, new time in my life, I started to experience that what they were saying was true was in fact true for me. And that I was just like, it just became more of a natural outflow of who I was. And I, and I went through the ordination process in North Carolina, and it was literally, like, normally people will tell you, like, the ordination process when they, like, finally ordain you, like, you are a Methodist pastor, and you can give communion and baptism and do all those things anywhere you want. But, you know, that process is usually arduous and, like, difficult and, you know, sometimes can take many years with stopping points and people questioning. And it was like God had opened up all the doors, and I, I got through faster than you can, like, you're supposed to get through. Even like my, the district superintendent was like, yeah, we'll just tell people your membership was for a year, right? Even though it was only for six months, technically. And then they like, like all of these things just started opening. And as I lived out this life as pastor, I started to realize that, hey, this is, I mean, I think that this like jack of all trades that used to be a burden I carried, like I'm not the academic or I'm not the athlete or I'm not the whatever, started to fit with this ministry, this calling that I had. 
And I wonder for you, what, what, is, what has that been? Has that, have you had that experience? As we look around broader culture, it happens all the time. I mean, I was looking up like professional athletes that had other, you know, interests, right? And it was like, I had no idea that Tom Brady was 18th pick for the MLB. He was drafted at the 18th for the MLB and then, you know, decided to go to University of Michigan or whatever. I think that's the university he went to. And then, you know, clearly he made a right decision, right? Like Tom Brady, the best like football player ever, right? Had transitioned from this being our focus to now this. And, and I say all of this because I think that we have a hard time with the first part of the scripture reading this morning. The latter part is like what married couples, this is like the second married couple or like the wedding scripture, you know, let your love be genuine, right? But the first part, offer yourself as living sacrifices is one that I think that we don't really get that language and it doesn't make sense to us because when we hear sacrifice, we hear like, you know, animal sacrifice or human sacrifice or whatever it is. It just doesn't jive. We don't understand. Like, what is the Apostle Paul talking about? I'm supposed to give up everything in life so that I can take on some, like, spiritual, like, holiness? I, I just don't get it. But what I believe that the Apostle Paul was talking about there was the very same transition that took place within his life pre-Christ and post-Christ. And that's this transition of being incorporated into the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so much so that his life is changed from that point on, and he can't understand how it was like the way it was before. Because Paul had lived his life following the Torah, following the law. He was a Pharisee. And if you don't know that, what that fancy word is, it's, you know, the people of God during antiquity. So around the time of Jesus, 2000 years ago, they had a group called the Pharisees and they were like the religious elites, but not just that, but they were like, they like followed it to a T, like all of the pieces, the law, they read the scriptures, they showed up to synagogue, they were in the temple worship. I mean, it was an entire thing. And Paul describes in other places, he was the best of the best of the Pharisees. He was blameless, he says, blameless. And yet he looks at that life post-Christ and wishes he would have done life differently. And he wishes that he would have lived life more freely in the love of God. And he says it later on. And he says, I, you know, like, look back and I lament at, you know, my brothers and sisters that his, referring to his Jewish brothers and sisters that are running the race that's been finished. He says, they're running a race. They're, they're doing all these things. They're being perfect. And they're trying so hard to do that way of life when the entire time Christ has already brought them in and they are free and they are free. And that when you experience the freedom that God can give you by realizing you don't have to be this way, that you can be yourself, you get a newness of life. And it might not be vocation or your like athleticism or whatever it is. It might be like where you decide to serve in life. That all of a sudden you like find yourself serving, uh, you know, like the, the in a homeless ministry or in a small leading a small group setting, or you know might find yourself serving in a, a another organization uh, beyond the church, a nonprofit, or you know you might find yourself doing like a hobby, and it's like I got myself on a boat and I started rowing, and it was like oh my gosh, life is different now. 
Life is different now. And, and friends, I, I, I'm, I'm going to hearken back. I'm, I'm going to bring it down to a real level, prepping you for some stuff for a little bit. Um, I've been reflecting on North Carolina because it's the ordination process that I went through. And reflecting on Donna, who was my mentor, helping me through that ordination process. And I, my heart broke this week because uh, on Donna's Facebook page, the North Carolina annual conference that welcomed me and brought me in as a pastor had a special char- annual conference over this past week. And 249 churches left the United Methodist Church. 249 churches left the United Methodist Church. They disenfranchised. And I've said it a while ago, right? I said it a while ago that over, you know, the issue, whatever you want to say about that, the issue of LGBT inclusion, churches are separating and breaking within the United Methodist Church. And we're going to see more and more of it. And if you're from a place where this conversation is happening at your home church, right? If you're from mainland, especially, you know, like Arkansas or, New, uh, or North Carolina or Georgia or some of those other places, the Bible Belt, like this is your church is going to be going through this. I, I promise you. And they're deciding where and where not. And right now, those that uh, don't want to be including of the LGBT community are breaking off. And my heart broke that 249 of the church, I, I mean, I could have been preaching in one of those churches, and they left. And I, and I say that my heart broke because this morning I woke up to the news of hate. I woke up to an LGBT pub and the tragedy that happened there and signs that are showing up like love over hate on a news feed. And I, and I say all that because the words of the Apostle Paul, when he talks about being free in Christ, we did a, a Bible, sex, and controversy uh, study some years ago as we prepared ourselves for what was going to, we thought at the time, be a division in the United Methodist Churches. In 2019, I think it was, I just became pastor here, or 2018, and I, they were going to have a special conference in January 2019. So we were preparing ourselves for it. And as I was preparing myself for it, I brought my friend Ryan, um, my, best friend's, uh, my best friend from college, I brought him in to share with us his story. I mean, he'd grown up conservative Christian and, you know, like he was a close dear friend. Everyone thought he was like effeminate or gay when in college. And, you know, I was like, well, it's my friend Ryan, you know, like whatever. Um, but later on after post-college, when I was in grad school at, in Durham, he like shared with me like, you know, Ryan, I think I'm bi, which then transitioned to gay. And, um, but the words he used to describe that transition for him, he said it was as if the old self went away. And I, I could breathe, he said. I could breathe. I had this freedom. And that, friends, I believe, is what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he said the newness of Christ. And it makes me lament and sad that there's people that live within our community as if they feel they can't be themselves. They can't live open. And and it makes me even more sad that the church reinforces that for them, as opposed to being a community that simply allows people to breathe and to be the gift of God. 
We're all given different gifts, the Apostle Paul says. I'd go even further that every individual has indelible, unique qualities within them that God makes them the gift of God to the world. And how do we not kind of shun or push away anyone for any reason, but how do we welcome and embrace? See, the Apostle Paul uses the word sacrifice, not as like death to this. He's using the word sacrifice within the religious understanding of the time of sacrifice. And this was brought to light by uh, a professor at Duke. And he talked about the sacrificial understanding in Hebrews, which is a New Testament, about the ways in which the animal is handled. Um, and he talks about how we think of sacrifice as the meaning being like the death itself, like that appeases God for some reason in the Old Testament, right? That like when something dies, it's okay. And he actually says that's not, the, that's not the point of the sacrifice. The sacrifice is not the sacrifice if you don't follow the blood. If you don't follow the places the blood is supposed to be marked on the altar, you don't follow the, where the blood and the body is supposed to be buried in the ground, the sacrifice in ancient Jewish culture was not the sacrifice. And you know what the Apostle Paul is using that language intentionally because he knows one thing, that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. But it wasn't about the death. You got to follow the body. You got to follow the blood. And the body of Christ was risen and seated at the right hand of God the Father and given a, a, a place at the table to be called Son of the Most High. And Paul says that we as individuals, he says, whether you, you know, while I was an enemy, this happened. While I was a sinner, this happened. While I was weak, this happened. That we are incorporated into the life, the death, and the resurrection. And friends, what that means that is if we follow the sacrifice of Jesus, that we too have been incorporated into that, and we're seated now with Christ as sons and daughters of God the Most High, as we are, that we're there. We have a place in the heavenly banquet table so how do we let go, right, of the things that we feel we ought to be and do in life and find those life-giving ways to serve, to give, to love, to be yourself, to be yourself? And how do we as a community in the wake of what we're going to be seeing throughout the United Methodist Church, and you're going to be reading about it in the news and the headlines soon enough because it's going to be more and more areas. But not just that, in the wake of tragedies like last night, to be not a community that says, you got to be this way, but to be a community that says that you are the gift. Breathe and experience the newness of Christ. And we can only do that by believing in that ourselves and finding that in ourselves, the newness of life that allows us to breathe, to be life-giving. Because that's how grace works. God gives it to us, and then we live into it. And as we live into grace, the gift that's been given, we breathe the breath of God. 
and we live anew. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we can find ourselves limited, running the rat race, putting our energy in ways that don't give life to those around us and aren't life-giving for ourselves. Help us as a community experience the newness of life, the recognition of all the members of God's family, the sons and daughters of God, that we all have a place within the body of Christ, unique gifts, unique stories. Help us experience the freedom that comes with living into our passions and our gifts and giving back in those ways. And help us encourage others to know that they are a gift. Their story, their history, their gifts, their passions is a gift Amen.